This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Well, we're going to go to a dinner party with Jesus and then hearing the good news of a banquet. But uh, first, I, I, I want to begin with providing you a picture that I received uh, in a devotional study in an email this week. And it, uh, it says the same thing in a different way, uh, but it, 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 it excited my heart. And uh, so I just share it with you that if you want to take anything home with you, uh, this picture may be useful. And we'll use it to uh, consider the gospel reading. And in the devotional, it talked about one way to understand what the Lord is up to in our life is uh, to remember that he is always working at rewriting, writing again, this time, uh, his heart on our hearts. The Lord is always at work to rewrite by the Holy Spirit, by the finger of God, the Holy Spirit, his heart upon our heart. And as we look into the gospel readings, we look into any story, we say, uh, well, how is this playing out uh, in, this, in this gospel reading today, in any time that we open up the gospels? And where that comes from are those, uh, for most of us, familiar verses from uh, the 31st chapter of Jeremiah, and I believe it's the 25th chapter of Ezekiel, where both have the same picture that uh, God is going to come and he's going to do something new. He's going to cleanse and forgive our hearts. He's going to take out the old heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh. He's going to, he whose finger, uh, the Spirit of God, wrote on, on uh, stone tablets, his written Torah, this time wants to, by his finger, by his spirit, rewrite on our, uh, his heart on our heart. He wants to rewrite his heart on our heart by his Holy Spirit. So that uh, really gave me um, a lens uh, to, to look into this gospel reading of how can we see an example of this in here? Or how can we witness this happening? And I began to realize that, yeah, this is, I, I, could, I could feel that. I could feel that of him wanting to reach out and rewrite his heart and our heart as I looked what came before and after the passage. First of all, before the passage, we see he, he's on a, a journey. He's on a final journey to Jerusalem where he's teaching over and over again that he is going to uh, lay down his life. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be crucified, uh, die, buried, raised from death, and uh, we see then he's going to gather, uh, uh, his, gather his, his friends and, and uh, empower them with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and as he ascends to glory, uh, he promises, you know, I'm going to be with you always. Uh, we heard in the epistle reading from this morning where he says, I will not fail you nor forsake you. But uh, as he's going to the cross, he's going for that forgiveness of sins and uh, and then everything in here talking about wanting to rewrite his heart upon our heart, not just individually, but in our, in our life together as his body. And so that's the, that's the big picture, the big journey. But the verses right before here 
you, you feel him seeking and looking and, and passionate uh, to, to write his heart in our heart when he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you're the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I want to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. You're the one who's not willing. And then right after this dinner party, uh, a few, um, a few uh, paragraphs afterwards, he gives us those three amazing parables together of the, of the seeking, rejoicing heart of the Father expressed in, this, in the parable of looking for the lost sheep, the woman looking for the lost coin, and then it ends up with the Father's heart fully passionate and aflame and exposed as the father, literally the father in the parable with the two sons, runs out to seek both of them in his compassion to the prodigal who has returned home and just as importantly to the son who could not respond to the father's seeking and rejoicing and love. And, and he leaves the banquet. He leaves the banquet to go and search for that son and to say, we must rejoice. Please, come in. Come in to the banquet. Come into the banquet. And the question is left of what will the response be. But seeking to rewrite his heart on our heart, both individually, but then to gather us as a community of which that, uh, that will be expressed in different ways. And in this passage tonight, we see particularly his, his desire to rewrite his heart and our heart that we would be marked by humility and generosity, which we can't fake. We can want it. We can look at it in the Bible and say, oh, that's beautiful. I'll try to do that. And uh, the good news is we want it. The bad news is, or the difficult news is, the challenging news is, we can't, we can't do this unless his heart is written on our heart. And then uh, we have a, a humility and a generosity that uh, uh, creates community of which are healing, transforming, inviting, encouraging, sustaining places to be. The kind of places that we leave when we don't have them in a church and we church shop and search for until something is home for us uh, in a way that we're now in the presence of God. Something that wasn't happening even among the disciples because as Jesus is, is, is seeking to rewrite his heart on our heart, we find too many times the shock and the disappointment that the disciples aren't hearing him because they're busy arguing who is going to have uh, the most prominent place, who's going to be top dog in the new kingdom. One even gets their mother to come along and to say, ah, come on, could you let my boys be one at your left hand and one at your right hand? Nothing big, just, you know, that. And uh, we often see their life together uh, marked by a lack of uh, generosity that the Lord is already pouring about upon them. So it's, it's, it's something that he's going to address in here that's not a problem for them out there, but also for us who bear his name.
So coming into the, to the, um, to the, the, the dinner itself, I had a difficult time this week just getting past the first verse. I tried to uh, read past it, to, to pray, to study, but yet memories kept coming up. And I believe it's, it's a grace of the Lord uh, that uh, uh, when it said that he, he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, and they watched him closely. And I couldn't get past those words of, and they watched him closely, remembering how many places in my own journey were uncomfortable, painful, difficult, discouraged, discouraging, damaging, dysfunctional, broken, sinful, just bad places to be, often marked by when you go in, they watched him closely. Uh, an atmosphere of judgment, of condemnation, of critical spirit. I'm sure we have never been in places like that. How sad when those places are the places that God intended would be places of blessing and safety. How sad when they mark maybe our relationship between the generations, parents with children and children with parents, or with siblings with one another, or in, uh, between husband and wife, or uh, among um, community, neighborhoods, schools, and yes, sadly, yes, even fellowships, congregations, churches, ministry groups, uh, parachurch organizations. Um, I'm sure that we've all have met disappointment in community. Sometimes it's because we've expected something that the Lord never promised, places where hurt would never happen. But uh, I find comfort in some of the uh, liturgies of the church when it talks about and when we sin, and when we hurt each other. Not to be surprised by this. So communities aren't places and families that never have hurt or disappointment or where, where, hard, or where hard things don't happen. But what do we do with them when it does happen? What do we do? Do we know how to seek each other's forgiveness in God's? Do we know how to uh, bring uh, the resources of... Um, do we know how to bring... Do we know how to seek... Uh, Jesus in that and to find him and, and, to, and, to, uh, and to bring the giftings and blessings of the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that I, that I, that, that memories uh, that, that came into my mind was for the, uh, before I retired about four or five years ago from parish ministry, I uh, was privileged to live, uh, to be a part of several parishes, the last one for 30 years, but several parishes and ministries uh, within the uh, area of Washington, D.C., and uh, as, you know, you might not have ever been to the USA or to Washington, D.C., but I think we're all aware that that is a power center of, of uh, the world. It's just the way it is. And uh, we have a little phrase that we talk about there called the inside the beltway culture. And there's a, a road, a beltway, that goes all around Washington, D.C. And uh, the epicenter is inside that beltway. And it's marked by power meetings, power dinners, even 
empower prayer breakfasts, uh, a place where leaders, uh, both believers, non-believers, get together and um, try to get things accomplished, but often they get carried away by what our liturgies call in the Anglican Church the imaginations of their own hearts. They get lost in a sense of just living in this addictive, intoxicating atmosphere of where who knows of who you're going to brush up against next. And, you know, uh, uh, people uh, loving to go to occasions. I think of just the dinner party. The dinner party. Uh, and some of these are what they call heavily protocoled, meaning you know where you're going to be sitting when you go there. You're not going to be fighting for the high or the low seat. Security is going to tell you where you're sitting. You just may be really angry and disappointed when you, when you got there, and you'll try to politic better for the next time for how you can get a better seat to get be, uh, next to people who are powerful and famous. And maybe you could even accomplish something for the kingdom there by being an important person yourself. So anyhow, I thought, wow, you know, uh, 30, almost 34, 35 years of being in a place where uh, what's described here sort of looks like the, the uh, Little League, the, the, the junior varsity. Uh, this, you know, what happened for Jesus that day, he hadn't seen anything yet until you've been uh, among uh, uh, people in Washington, D.C., uh, who, when the invitation goes out, what goes through their mind is not the generosity of the person who gave it, and how can I come and just be thankful in the midst of that generosity? How can I, how can I uh, uh, just enjoy one another's fellowship, but what should I put on? What should I wear? How should I conduct myself? What time should I get there? You know, who should I be so that it will post well on social media? so that I can get a good selfie, so that I can get something accomplished, even for the kingdom. And all of a sudden, this becomes a description, what we see in the gospel reading today, Jesus going to the party, and they're watching him with criticism, with judgment, and whatever, and all of a sudden, and they're all a one hand almost comic. It would be comical if it wasn't so tragic, of how they're parading themselves around thinking this dinner won't be complete unless I get what I want. And, and everybody enters into the imaginations of my own heart about how of my great uh, self-imposed importance. And so um, uh, uh, the, the Lord is in, in, in inviting us out of the bondage, out of the addiction, <laughs> out of the deception, out of the brokenness of that kind of uh, mentality into saying, consider the true humility. He tells them a parable. And on one hand, people could forget that word parable. And, um, and it looks like he's just providing them with a sneakier, more socially appropriate way of getting when you want. Oh, listen, you're not going to get ahead in that power party. You're not going to get anything accomplished. Here's what you got to do. Get there early and get the bad seat, and you'll have nowhere to go but up. And it just looks like uh, worldly advice to teach, you to, do, uh, to teach you to do the same old thing in a much more sneaky fashion. That's not what's happening. He says, I'm telling you a parable. In other words, I'm going to tell you something 
about how God's kingdom it, it, is it working. And the same way in, um, in what follows, uh, when he says, uh, listen, you know, this whole thing is what we call in Latin a quid pro quo. You do this for me, and I'll do that for you. And that's the way too much of Jesus' uh, uh, society, culture, work then, even among the religious. We hold these events so that and inside the Beltway in Washington, D.C., example of so many other things, we are doing this so that maybe you will do that. It all is under the guise of a generous and delicious and lavish party, but it's really a movement of power. And even among, as Jesus describes it, even among friends, even among families, you know, even among uh, uh, the deepest relationships, it's, it's a lot about if I do this for you, will you do this for me? Or I did this for you, why are you treating me that way? You know, what am I getting out of this? And uh, again, uh, when the Lord says, listen, when you're planning things, be generous. Just do it because it's a good and right thing to do. And, and consider adding you know, with your guest list those people who are the least and who can't have any way of repaying back. And can we trust enough that God sees, and he'll take care. You know, you just do things because they're the right thing to do. And uh, again, there have been uh, actual folks through history who have looked at this and thought maybe Jesus was teaching just something, teaching something a little, a little sneakier that, come on, you, I know everybody wants to go and have the most when you get to heaven. You want the shiniest crown. You want the biggest mansion. I actually have been to churches in my life where I've heard this unapologetically preached. You know, get all you can in heaven and let's go out and find folks who we can to bless, not because we care about them, but because it will get us more in eternity. It's quid pro quo in a different way. I had someone tell me just a few moments ago when they went to a, a mission trip to another culture and, and that's how the culture was functioning to the point of, in that culture, they even went to jail for somebody else, not because they loved them. I don't know how you go to jail for somebody else, but it was allowed in that culture. And, and, but they went to jail for somebody else, not because of their love for the Lord for them, but be, because, and this wasn't in the Christian faith, it was another faith, they could, thought that could move them up in the cycle of reincarnations or you know, karma or, you know, things like that. I, I, I uh, worked for about 20 years with a fire and rescue squad as an EMT, and I remember, you know, uh, one night going to a, a place where a person was, a woman uh, was locked in the bathroom and ready to commit suicide, and she was high on drugs, and the uh, special forces, the SWAT team came in to make the scene secure. They took off the door, and the, the way that they had to get her to the ambulance because of she was just so strong and overpowering of even nine special forces guys was they, they, went, they got her sandwiched between two mattresses and duct taped it all the way around. And as she was going out the door, she was screaming curses on everyone, basically saying is, you don't care about me. You just feel good being the good guys. Wow. She said, you don't care about me. You just 
You just love and are excited about being the good guys. In this dinner party that starts off with the discomfort and the ugliness that reminds us of things that are all too true in our own lives, of our lack of of generosity and humility. While they are watching Jesus, notice it says Jesus is watching them. And that's the larger truth. The worst of us. God is still watching us, wanting to rewrite his heart on our hearts. And it doesn't upset him. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't, yeah. It bothers him at the mad scramble for seats, at the broken display of humanity that's going on in the, in the poverty, the ugliness of their lack of humility and generosity. But uh, he takes command. He is watching them. God is watching us in a way without condemnation, without that criticalness, with a desire and a hunger just to give us his heart and his life. And uh, in, and, and there's a, a, another parable that comes after these two parables that sheds a spotlight on how we're to go and look at the offer of humility and generosity that God wants to give us. Right after this, a man jumps up and he says, wow, it's going to be great to eat in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus turns around with a parable that's too long to go and tell, but you might remember it. But the bottom line is, yes, it will, but why in the world do you think you're going to be there? He, he tells a parable, which in a polite way, sort of, but in a surgical strike, questions that man's sincerity. Yes, it is. But let me tell you this parable that's happening right now before your eyes, right now in your midst, because I'm present and I'm the king. (laughs) And I'm bringing in my kingdom. And I'm bringing in my presence. And I'm bringing in my purposes. And I'm bringing in my rule. And I'm bringing in my desire to rewrite my heart onto your heart. And how are you responding? And it's, it's that story of where uh, there is a great banquet that, that's uh, being uh, offered, of which we're sitting at the other end of the table right now. The story that Jesus is telling of not just in the future, but here's a foretaste of it right now. The invitations are going out. And... Um, in our lack of humility, in our lack of generosity, who is refusing the banquet? Who is refusing his heart? Uh, and so Jesus ch- uh, challenges them. That's, and so I look at that last parable as a floodlight that, that just lights up the other two parables, and we see that it's not just a more sly, sneaky socially acceptable, cunning, diplomatic form of advice of how to really get what you want and avoid humility and generosity altogether. But it's basically saying is, there is a banquet. God is watching. God is watching, and there is a banquet. God is here, and there is an invitation. And it's free for all. And there's no way it possibly can be, uh, be repaid and guess what? In God's eyes, the, the, the ground is all level at the foot of the cross. And we are the maimed, the poor, the blind. And we all come as beggars there. And there will be no place to, to, to be at his banquet 
parading the imaginations of our hearts. And so the question becomes then, uh, in, in the telling of these stories, the telling of these parables, is uh, and when we, to remember at the pathetic dinner parties that we, we, we throw for ourselves at times, the, the, the truth of his larger banquet and his presence and his invitation and his expanding kingdom to say is, can, realizing we are at his table with humility, can we trust him to put that same, uh, to receive and to operate in that same humility in all the areas of our life? Can we trust him with the outcome that we don't have to strive and manipulate, sometimes covered by a huge hyper-spirituality that justifies it. Do we trust the God who wants to rewrite his heart on our heart enough that uh, we can do as, as we're exhorted to do in every epistle in the New Testament of to live with the same humility of which he lived uh, in, in, in humbleness to, to, to come and be incarnate and die on the cross and to strip himself of all his prerogatives. Can we, believe, do we, can we trust that God can be trusted to get us where we need to be? And if we can't trust that, why not? And then the other thing with that is, can we trust God that there's a blessing just in the giving? It doesn't have to be quid pro quo or I give because of what else might happen. That it's not just a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a culture from being apart from God that we bring into our fellowships and we bring into our ministries and our congregations. And again, sometimes we, we find ways to make it more digestible or acceptable by different ways that we move scripture around or hyper-spiritualize it. But the same question there is with trust. Can I trust that it is in giving that we receive? And, that, and the Lord says, oh yes, and at the end, can you trust me that whatever is, quote, due to us, as if anything ever could be due, it'll be beyond what you can ever ask or imagine. Do you trust me? I am seeking to rewrite my heart on your heart. And the two particulars here is, can you trust me with the outcome to allow ourselves to live with his humility that only he can give by his spirit and his generosity? Now, I just want to uh, uh, close with just a, a time in my life when this, this I experienced this really for the, uh, the first time of the, of the power of community in which God-given, spirit-driven humility and generosity flows. Uh, growing up, uh, I moved at one point... Uh, my parents were divorced. Five years later, my mother remarried. And I was lifted out of my tribe, what was I was familiar with, in, in one area of the United States and moved about 1,000 miles, 1,500 miles to another area of the United States. And my mother had remarried. And we lived into a, moved into a neighborhood which was very lovely, suburban neighborhood, but it was very broken. Uh, a lot of the peers that I grew up with uh, didn't make it through their teenage years. They died of drug things. Some ended up in prison. Uh, you know, uh, just a lot of bad things uh, happened behind uh, beautiful home, closed doors. Uh, 
probably a lot of those were church families too. Uh, one thing that, that uh, marked some of the families um, was there were addictions in the families, whether it was alcoholism or drug addiction. And uh, in my own family, mealtimes were a painful time. I had eaten meals at my extended family's house when we lived in another part of the country, but I thought, I, thought I, I don't remember a time when I actually would eat at each other's houses. We didn't eat each other's houses. They were too painful for different reasons to go to. There was a lot, uh, you know, people were proud. They weren't very generous, and sometimes maybe they were just, it was, you just didn't do that. And so mealtimes were a time I wanted to get in on and get out of because it, it was like this, and they were watching him. And they were just at times of fight, of fight picking, criticism, and just getting caught up in mind games and like just get in and get out. And then one day, a family moved two doors down the street into our neighborhood that began to transform the neighborhood. It was called the, the, the their last name was Tanella, an Italian name. And they were different because uh, even when you walked by their lawn of their house, it was something was different. It was, it was not like it was overdone. It was just the very, the, something about it was life, and it was just ordered, and it was just different. And then began to realize part of the difference was Mr. Tanella was not Mr. Tanella. He was Father Tanella. He was of one of those Eastern Orthodox churches where the clergy are allowed to marry and have children if it happens before they're ordained. And then after ordination, it can't happen. Um, and, um, but they invited me to dinner. Well, actually, their daughter, who I found quite interesting. <laughs> and, and I'd never been to anybody's house for dinner outside of my family setting. And like, ah, oh, what would dinner be like? And it was Amazing. It was peaceful. It was joyful. Uh, nobody was watching. No critical spirit. No judgment. No trying. No shaming. It was. A, it was like a, a relaxed space to be that I'd never experienced before. And I liked going back there over and over again. I didn't go a lot, but I went regularly, and it was just a whole different way of sitting at the table. Now, I had been saved and went to church and youth group, and, and, uh, and so, you, you know, yeah, I belong to Jesus. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But I haven't experienced the transforming power of Christian community of where a Holy Spirit-given humility and generosity is allowed to flow. It doesn't mean they were without sin or brokenness or whatever, but it was just life to be there. And then the amazing thing is, at the end of each meal, you got to experience Father Tanella praying aloud for his wife, briefly in his own words, who by this time I had learned was dying of cancer. That's why she looked so different with her, with her head balding and dressing differently with a head dressing like, oh, your mother is dying of cancer soon. And, and, and the daughter and the three brothers and yeah, you know, they acted like brothers and sisters, but yet they didn't. And uh, get to hear uh, the mother pray for the father. And then the mother and the father, you never left the table. The brother didn't go off to football practice. 
The other brother didn't go off to go and do his homework. I didn't go out on a date with, with uh, the daughter unless the father and mother briefly in their own words said prayers of blessing over us. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. You get the difference between power dinner parties that are penetrated by the kingdom. And I think the Lord puts the choice out. He gives this not because I'm glad we're not that, but because the church itself, in his own disciples, in the epistles, in the lives that we know, our places sometimes breed death rather than life. They breed a, a uh, destructive counterfeit form of, of um, humility and generosity rather than that which is the fruit of God's writing his heart upon our heart. And how do we come to allow the kingdom to have more of its presence in our lives and in our fellowship with one another and to be those beautiful spaces that attract people? It's by how do we turn to him in prayer to say, Lord, I trust you, help my lack of trust. I believe, help my la a lack of belief. I obey, but help my lack of obedience so that I can draw closer and closer to you and believe that you can be trusted with the outcomes of my life so that I don't have to strive and that I can find my joy and my peace in giving and as generously, as freely as you have given to me. May it be more so of us. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.